also recording so Pippa how are you doing very well very well how are good you it's good to have you as my first live Facebook feeded interview as well hello um, so I we're going to talk about grade three APXA tuber I've bottled out of <laughs> it so everyone will understand why in a second will you tell me what APXA stands for so it stands for anaplastic pleomorphic xanthoastrocytoma. Wow. <laughs> very rare type of brain tumour. Right. Okay. So this is something that's sort of been a big part of your life for the last couple of years. So obviously the first thing is sort of what, what, how did that start? Like what, what was the first thing that made you think there was something wrong or how did you find out about it? So it was back in 2018 and I'd um, moved to London to go to uni and I, I had my, a really big seizure and it was a, I don't remember anything. I was walking into a restaurant about to celebrate my granddad's 80th birthday and I just blacked out. And uh, the next thing I knew I was waking up in A&E and they said that I'd had a tonic-clonic seizure so it means you like fall unconscious and you keep having multiple seizures. Oh, wow. So initially I was, I had an MRI and then they diagnosed me with just epilepsy, just like have developed epilepsy um, and prone to seizures. And then, so for a year, they put me on these anti-convulsive meds and it takes them a long time to work out the dosage that you need to be on. Um, so you need to be like a year seizure free before you even, you know, can like get behind the wheel of a car um, or like them to like amend your meds. They start decreasing them. And I just kept having these seizures and these, they kept increasing the meds and I kept, I kept having seizures and kind of deja vu experiences. Um, and I knew it wasn't deja vu. It was. It was more than that. It was. It was kind of like I felt like I was in a film. Um, and then, then I'd like throw up after. So it was. It was really, really weird. Um, and then I think it was Christmas two thousand and eighteen, two thousand nineteen. Um, I told my neurologist that I'd had another one, and he said uh, he was like, "We're going to send you for another MRI." And then, and then um, he rang me one day after after that for the results, and he wanted me to come in rather than tell me on the phone. And so straight away, I kind of knew that it was something more than just epilepsy. Oh wow! So then, how what was that conversation when they told you it's did they, did they know then what it was, or did they just know it was more than epilepsy? Um, well, I I think he said we're gonna bring him in for another MRI but this time he's going to be in the control room and after it he wanted me to have a meeting straight away and so that's not very normal for this it's just something's a bit you know worrying there um so I knew it was something bad and I, I'd never even considered that it would be a tumor because like I, I was 20 and I've been completely fine like I'd Starting getting my head around the fact that I might just be prone to seizures, and um, 
Yeah, and then after that scan, he just said that we missed a tumour on your initial MRI after that first seizure back in 2017. Um, and within the year that we've compared it like to the scan we just did now, it had grown two and a half centimetres. So if they'd have found it originally, then that would have been a lot easier to sort of uh, fix in a way, I guess. Yeah, it would have been would have been a lot less dangerous, I'm guessing. Yeah. And I mean, they just would have caught it earlier. So and you wouldn't have had to have gone through all the seizures and the yeah. stress of that time as well. When yeah. when my nephew he his went undiagnosed for quite a long time. Uh, they kept sending him away from the hospital. Uh, there was questions about him making stuff up to get out of going to school, um, and then when they found that it was sort of massive apologies and they could have saved a lot of time as well. Yeah. But how, how big was it in the end? Um, I think the, I think it was about two and a half. I think it was probably about three centimeters wide. It was like perfect circles. So like circumference was probably three centimeters. I'm not really sure, but it was, I could I could see it from the chain. I could see it on the first scan. So the fact that a team neurologist had had missed that, you know, once he pointed it out, that like me and my mum could both see it. Yeah. So it was three centimeters, and it had grown two and a half centimeters in the time. No, I think on the first one it was it was like one and a half, and then it it had grown like two centimeters in the year. So they knew it was aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So was your mum with you when, when you had that conversation then? Yeah, she. I was at, in my first year at Leeds College of Music and I was obviously keeping her up to date with what my neurologist was telling me. Um, and then when he rang me saying that I, we need to go in, I rang her straight away and we were both like crying, saying that we just knew that there was something wrong. And she's literally been with it. She's been with me like every single step of the entire thing. Like, so she, she's the only person that will kind of ever get it. Yeah. Yeah. So when, I mean, you've, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the adverts where they take someone into a waiting room and then they take them into the office and they tell them and it sort of, all the noise goes. Yeah. Was it anything like that? What was, what was the sort of the feelings in the room while he was, telling you um i mean i've i've described it as like a indescribable feeling okay. <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah. like you do feel like your whole world is just falling apart right there right then and and my, i think my first question to him was am i gonna have brain surgery because i've literally never had even like a local anesthetic before and so my first, I'd never broken anything. Um, and like, I, just, I didn't know, I didn't even know what to think. I didn't think it was real. Um, but I don't cry. I don't cry in those meetings. I cry like after. Yeah. It was a massive delayed reaction. So my mum was like gripping my hand. And then I could tell she was like, you know, holding it together. And he said basically the next few the next year is going to be really tough for you. And he was just, he just kind of gave me a warning. Um, 
yeah and then I got in the car and I was just like completely broke down and I, I just said I can't do this I remember saying that and my mum was like yeah you can like we're gonna do this oh, so what what happens from there so they they tell you this news you leave have they given you a date to go back have they told you how soon it's going to be or what to expect or anything um yeah so they told me january i think it was like mid like 22nd of january or something that they told he told me and he i was in my first craniotomy february 5th it, i didn't have much time to get my head around it at all they wanted me they wanted me to get in there straight away um so yeah that was like my first brain surgery at lgi so that must be like i've i've had my knee rebuilt a few times i've i've you know i've been in some silly accidents and going into an operation you sort of know what to expect and you think well at the end of the day if worst comes to worst if it goes wrong i'll have my leg amputated yeah the sort of like you know i could still live without that leg if something was to go horribly wrong yeah so never have had an operation and then the first one be an operation inside your head i know that must have been that must have been awful how do you prepare yourself for something like that um i don't even because that that week was just so stressful like there was there was no room to think about anything else um I was obviously not wanting to Google that much. I, d I didn't Google anything throughout the whole thing because it's just not helpful, is it? Like, we've all done it. You know, you have a headache and you Google it and next thing you know, you, th you, th you think you have a brain tumour <laughs> when you don't. Um, but, yeah, it was just terrifying. Like, I can't even explain it. It was, it was fear, like, on another level because I never had an anaesthetic before and I just... I just it was completely like it was just pure fear like my entire body was shaking when I was in when they were trying to put me to sleep and um, it wasn't working because I was like having a massive panic attack um yeah it was like it was, it was quite traumatizing because I had to sign a form that was like you know pot potential things that go wrong is like death yeah so like having to sign that, it was just quite, yeah. Wow. So you, you finally end up asleep. Mm -hmm. and they do this operation and then you wake up and can you feel pain? Is there bruising, swelling? Um, I woke up and I think it, they said it was supposed to be four hours and I was in for like six and a half hours. Right. So I think the waiting for my family was awful you know after it gets to that four-hour point they're like why is it why is it taking so long why have you not heard from them um i just remember waking up in um intensive care and then had this massive bandage around my head um i don't really remember feeling any pain i just i was but i was on loads of morphine at the time obviously um but then yeah, I, it was more like just nauseous and I could hear everything in my head. It's really weird. You don't realise how much is going on there <laughs> until you can like hear everything. <laughs> so yeah. was, was there any bruising or swelling to your face or anything? 
Um, no, they they had like a they done my scar really really neat. It actually surprises everyone when I when I show them the scar, and I didn't want to see it. Um, but my mum was like, honestly, you'll be so happy with it. So she took a photo and um, she showed me, and I was actually like, it's tiny. Like I don't know how they did that. Right. Um, and they only showed a tiny bit. Um, it's like it goes from like behind my ear to like there. Is it straight up? Yeah, it's like a complete straight line. Um, and I'm gonna try to find a photo of it actually. Pippa was just gonna show us a picture of her scar. Okay. Um, you'll be. I feel like you'll be really impressed. Oh wow! So can you tell that's the back and that's my ear? Yeah, you can just see the hair going over your ear. Yeah. Oh wow! That is. I'm facing that way. Yeah. So it's just literally a straight line, just yeah. just at the back above your ear, isn't it? Yeah, it's really. I was impressed with it. I was worried I was going to have like loads of hair shaved, and yeah. it was all wonky. But it's really good. They did. They did well. <laughs> So you, how long did it take you to recover from, from that, to be able to sort of walk about and do, do things normally? Um, well, I got invited to Niall Rogers' Brit War Party, which was about three weeks later. Oh, we should probably mention that Pip's an amazing musician, which we're going to come to at the end. So if that sounds like a really random thing to be invited to, it's probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like out of the blue. <laughs> Okay, so you, did you, when was that? How long after your operation was that? So my operation was on the 5th of February and his Brit party was on the 20th. Right, okay. <laughs> and I was like determined to go. Um, and yeah, I recovered really quickly in terms of, I mean, that is obviously ridiculously quick. Well, when you've yeah. got that sort of determination to get to a party with him, then amazing yeah. things can happen. Exactly. And um, yeah, my sisters were going to it. Um, my dad drove us down in a Jag, like he hired one so that we all felt proper, oh, wow. you know, like a good celebration. Um, but the recovery was awful, but I don't really know how I managed to get there like two weeks later. It was a week before that I couldn't even walk to the bathroom without throwing up. Like it was, it was really tough. But every day you, got, you get a bit better and they send young people home really as as soon as possible because people get better when they're at home. Right, okay. So did they give you a load of medication to use or did you get more no. take home or No, they sent me home with paracetamol. Oh wow. That was it. And um because they, they took so long to prescribe codeine for me. And my sister had to, they were like, right, we're going to send you back home with paracetamol. Um, and then my sister, it, the pain got quite bad. So she like went back and got the codeine for me. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so you, what happens after that? So how long are you, are you going for scans to make sure it's, it's clear, it's not come back? Um, well... I think then they were saying that I was going to have brain surgery and radiotherapy. 
So they so, came back to you as you was leaving. So you already knew that that was a thing that was going to happen. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that they need a few weeks to like plan your to like prepare you for radiotherapy and you know make a program for you. Um, so that took a few weeks, and then I was having six weeks of radiotherapy, um, five days a week. Wow! And what what when you say radiotherapy, what what does that look like? What what is it? So, um, essentially, they just they zap the area. In in my case, it was where the tumor was. So to, are, you, are you sat? Are you laid down? Yeah, you're. Um, you're on this bed just just on you're just lying lying flat and then um, because i was getting targeted to my head mm. they have to do this mask that they mold over your face um this is what i mean by preparing you for it and so they mold this kind of massive sheet of plastic over your face and um and then they cut out eye holes and obviously um the mouth bit and then they they literally like bolt you to this table, um. So so you cannot move because obviously if you move, it's it's going to be detrimental to where the radio radiation's going. Um, and then yeah, it's only five minutes. It only takes five. It's not long at all. Um, what does the machine look like? Like in my head now, I'm seeing you know the X-ray things where they've got the. I've got a photo of it here. All right. Um. Can you tell? Oh wow! Okay. So, like, you can see that black bed there. Yeah. Um, what bit was near your head? So this whole thing rotates the whole way around, like on the wall. Oh. Um, and this bit at the top, radio waves come out of that. Right. Okay. So that whole thing goes all the way around your head quite confusing but they give you a tour of it before you start they give you like a full-on tour so yeah Jeez. so did did could you feel anything while it was doing it did it feel hot or no you can't you can't you can't feel anything it's actually quite weird because you're staring straight up at where the, the radiation's coming from and you can see all these little grooves um moving in 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 shape of what your program is Right. You know, you know, there are all these tiny little millimeter grooves, obviously shaping the beam, hmm. um, and it takes five minutes. So that you go in, they bolt you down to this table, and I didn't mind it. Yeah, I thought it was quite relaxing. Um, bolted to a table with <laughs> over your face with little holes cut out, <laughs> big machine rotating around your head, <laughs> things that are moving at different times. <laughs> found that quite relaxing yeah it's just five minutes to myself like <laughs> and, I, and it was quite empowering because I was you just there like go on kill cancer like I don't know what it I just remember looking at it and I was like please no it's zapping me right now like it's yeah it's like the best thing for it hopefully um yeah like I didn't mind it that much and um I got my eyelashes done every week because I got eye holes. <laughs> the radiologists were like, "Oh, your eyelashes are great this week." <laughs> how how often did you do that? Once a week. Once every two weeks. Once every two weeks for how long? 
Oh, you mean radiotherapy? Oh, sorry. Yeah, not your eyelashes. <laughs> We're not talking about your eyelashes. <laughs> oh, no. How old was the radiotherapy? That was Monday to Friday for six weeks. Just five minutes every day for six weeks. And yeah. how long did you have to travel to do that? Um, luckily, it was a 45-minute journey to St. James. Right. from where I am now but people travel hours for yeah. treatment so I feel really lucky in terms of where I'm like getting treated right and how long so what's the, the gap in between the next surgery then um so they wait I think I think they wait a few like a month for the swelling to go down from what radiation like causes might cause um and then, and then the other scan, um, and then I, that was July 22nd, my scan. Right. They give you quite a few months. Um, and then, but the thing is, I had a relapse in July. So my scan came back that it was coming back. So radiotherapy hadn't worked. Right, okay. So did they call you in to tell you that? Yeah, because it was um, the first time that, well, I, I mean, it could go either, either way, couldn't it? When you have that first appointment after treatment. And um, I kind of just had a feeling that I actually didn't see it coming at all this time. It was a massive, massive shock. Um, and it was just like, oh, I've got to do it all again now. I couldn't, I couldn't like, imagine it there was, at the time. But I was like, oh, I've done it before, I can do it again. Um, yeah, just kind of like another, it was just the same as the first time, pretty much. Slightly less the shocking. Second, the second operation? Um, the second operation was oh, a lot sorry, easier. You're, you're talking about the, the time the doctor said to you? Yeah, when they told me that it had come back. Yeah, it was, it was the same kind of emotions, but... Like my sister was waiting in the waiting room and she knew that I was getting some like kind of information and it was it's just difficult telling your your family like on FaceTime yeah um yeah because my sister was on a cruise in the Caribbean so we had to tell her and obviously she wants to be there with all of us and yeah um so yeah it's going in for my second brain surgery and would you did you feel more prepared for that because you knew what to expect or is there no way of preparing yourself for something like that? No, I was, um, I was like a completely different person the second time because like, I'd done it before and so I was just like mentally so much in a much better place for it. So I kind of knew what to do and knew what to expect and I think that's why I recovered equally as quickly the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Around the second time, and is there any talks of more radi radiation? Um, no, because I've I've now had like the maximum amount a person can have. Right. Okay. Within like a year or however many years, um, but they said that after the second surgery, they're going to try me on a chemo. Um, and they don't know whether what the kind of side effects of that is going to be so they want they wanted me to freeze my eggs 
so within the slot of like my relapse and my second surgery which was in September last year um I had to like go through like three weeks of like IVF and um, just in case it like impacted on my fertility it's happening at the age of 21 20. Uh, 20, sorry, you're 21 now. Uh, you're at the age of 20. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So what? what's the deal with the chemo? What's You said you didn't have to have the, the line. It, is it medication that you take? Yeah, so because um, my tumour is so rare, the chemo is, is called targeted chemo, and they they mainly use it in America. So we had to appeal for my case for it to be able to be um, imported from the US to the UK. Um, and I got like a sample of approval for that, which was a really good day. What, what do you have, do you get somebody else to do that for you on your behalf? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause, cause I've fallen into the teenage and young adult, age group you automatically get referred to teenage cancer trust and then you get assigned a clinical nurse specialist um and they're like your means of like communication with your oncologist and your radiologist and everyone like that um and so you know they're they're all contacting these kind of professors in in the u.s and all that and and then my nurse rings me to let me know that i've got like the approval for it oh wow but that's a nice feeling yeah it was a, it was really good um and then that's yeah and then i got i got put on those but they're a brand new they're a brand new drug so there's not enough data out there to know what the long-term side effects of it are okay but obviously that's a risk you were willing to take yeah definitely um so it was kind of the only thing i could this is kind of the only option. So have you have you still got that tub next to you? Uh no, that's next door. Oh, is it? So um when we spoke earlier you had um the the I never remember the name of them, but it's like a daily a what? Like a pill box. A pill box, yeah, with the seven days. Um yeah. and there was probably about four or five tablets in there. And when I said, Is that what you have to take a day? He was like, No, this is just the morning one. Yeah, I've got to take um, a seizure meds. So there's four seizure meds, and then there's an antibiotic, an anti sickness, and then three of the chemo. Um, so what's that? Is that nine? <laughs> I walked nine. Down and I was listening. Sorry. <laughs> I think that was nine. I think that was nine pills in the morning, and then like eight at night. Um, like every day. And when I said to you. Oh, but that's a pain. You said, yeah, but it's better than having a brain tumour. <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't it? And I feel quite lucky because whenever I went, I'm not, I'm not an inpatient and I go in for my monthly bloods and my, my heart scan and um, I see people on Ward 94 and, you know, they're like hooked up to their IV and I feel like a lot freer. And I can just do it, you know, I can just take my chemo in the morning and not have to think about it until the evening. Wow. So what what happened when you started taking the chemo? How long ago was that? Mm, 
Um, 18th of October. I've got my little dates here because I could not remember that. About what, ten, eight months. Yeah. So I've just had my third, my third scan, and then they're all like my, I've had three clear scans now, so they are working. Three months. So it's been nine months of yeah. clear scans, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, this scan recently is like the best one because the the pre the first scan is obviously like oh there's nothing there but you kind of don't believe it yeah and then the second scan there was a little thing that they had a question mark over and they didn't know whether it was a blood vessel or like a relapse so this third scan they said that that thing's disappeared and it was a blood vessel and it's like completely clear so yeah did you did you have any side effects with the chemo um i had like um morning sickness like i had to miss a few 9am lectures um but other than that i think i was i was a bit tired but other than that nothing right so i've, I've kind of got away with it but like a big side effect of radiotherapy was obviously losing half my hair so that's the only side effect I've really had. So you you said because you was young, you got signed up with Teenage Cancer Care, is it called? Um, Teenage Cancer Trust. Right. And yeah. So for anyone who has either done it themselves or anyone who knows somebody who's cut off their hair and donated it. Um, oh, my wig for my wig. They provided you with a with a wig, didn't they? That was um the the Little Princess Trust. Little Princess Trust. Yeah. So, yeah, so anyone that's done that, you benefited from that. And how much of a difference did that make having like real hair? So it, it looks, you know, you can go out and it looks like real hair. Yeah, no one will like know. Yeah. Um, for me, that was like the biggest worry of mine to lose half my hair as like a young girl. And, you know, my hair was really, it was like really, it's really thick and brown. And I was, I was really proud of my hair. It was one part of me that I just like was really happy about and um I was terrified to lose it so they were kind of saying that you can have a wig or or you could just kind of you know walk around with a bald head and I just didn't want that so they got yeah they put me in contact with Little Princess Trust and I went for my first fitting and they'd they'd asked me prior to send a photo of my hair at the time so they could completely recreate it and then I went for my fitting and I was just like, I was just crying because I look like, I look like me again. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was really good. I was, I was yeah, I was very grateful for people who do, do donate their hair. Is that something you're going to look at doing yourself when yours grows back and gets long enough? Yeah, I've not even, I've actually not considered that, but yeah, I probably will do that. It's a long way off because it's really short. Um, <laughs> yeah. Out in that sense, but <laughs> that is amazing. Like you say, especially as a young girl, and hairstyles and stuff is a big part of your identity. Uh, with your singing, you're on stage. You've got sort of everyone looking at you. When you know yeah. you're in the spotlight a lot. Um, so tell me about singing. Yeah. Um, How long's that been going on for? Well. My actual singing, I mean, since I was like 14, but when I, I went to, I went to Leeds College of Music to do my A-levels and that was in pop performance as a vocalist. 
and then after that I did I went to Goldsmiths in London as a singer um and that's when you know I had a seizure so I was considering dropping out anyway but that kind of helped me make the decision so I came back to Leeds and then I managed to apply for the last year like the next year for going to Leeds College of Music for degree um and I managed to like apply and get in whilst going through all this and then um yeah I'm doing production now but I'm managing to produce my own music and work as a vocalist with other pro- uh, producers and stuff so it's really good how, how does that work because doesn't a producer usually say it would sound better if you did this or can we change this but if it's just you if it's just you then you can just like do what you want <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got no one to pull you up on anything yeah but also like I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to making my own tracks and which is a really good thing as a creative yeah. um I'm sure you're the same with yeah I am with like your spoken word and, and do you know what I don't edit and that's a big thing for some people um I write and then when I finish that's it I'll say it out loud a few times. I might add a word, change a word. But then as far as it goes, I I never take stuff out or I hate editing. And some Mm. people are so passionate about editing and how the editing part makes the performance and all the rest. And I'm just like, I've never, I've never, I've never edited. Makes some people really uncomfortable, does that? Why not? Just because they're so passionate about the, the editing part of the process. And because I don't even consider it because I don't, I just think if you if you edit stuff out, why did you write it in the first place? That's yeah. my mentality. If I've wrote it, it's for a reason. Yeah, so, unless you like make a mistake. Yeah, but that's what would get changed. So, like I say, I'll read it out loud. I'll say it out loud a few times just just to see if I can make it flow. Mm-hmm. If I need to put in an extra word or take a word out, um, but that's as far as far as it goes. That's good. I'll I'll write that. Yeah. It's um everyone has their own process and that's mine. But if I'm honest, I don't even write that much anymore. Um, I don't really have time. I don't. I don't feel inspired to write anything at the moment. Um, yeah. Have you wrote anything about what's been going on the last couple of years? Um, it's a weird one because it's like so much has happened, and within all that, there's been like relationships and breakups and stuff like that, and. It's just like, it's almost like I've been given so much <laughs> potential like content. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how to do it justice either, even though it's my life. Hmm. Um, but I did try and also it was all a bit too kind of raw to write about. And But I actually did write my first little song. It's like a, only a few people have heard it um, about the whole thing. And uh I was like crying whilst I wrote it, <laughs> which is a good sign. Yeah, definitely. So have you have you sung it yet? You mean like recorded it? Yeah. Um, oh, anyway, um, have you sung it to people? Have you sung it to your friends? Or have you just, when you say a few people have seen it, is that the words? Oh, no, that's like, I recorded it. It's like a, dra- it's like a demo. Yeah. Um, and I've played it to my mum and my boyfriend, George. That's it. <laughs> And did they cry? Yeah. Oh God. Well, well, I think I think George was crying, but I don't think he admitted it. You are. You won't admit it. 
<laughs> no. So as it, is there any sort of long-term effects? Is there anything that you feel is different in your life now than before? Or has it stopped you being able to do anything? Or? Um, it, it's definitely made me like a, a much better person. And like, I mean, I've like grown up really quickly <laughs> in the past year. I, I can't even compare myself now to the person I was before all this. Because you just think you're invincible when you're young, which you should feel like that, but I can't feel like that. Um, if if cancer came and tried to take you and you've beaten it, then you you are invincible. Surely. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of thinking Surely. about it. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you're definitely invincible. It came and it, it tried its best. It's done its best to get you. Yeah. For nine months now, you've said, I'm not interested. So. <laughs> That sounds yeah. pretty invincible to me. Yeah, but at the same time, it's it, it could happen to anybody. Yeah. And you don't think it's going to happen to you, as cliche as that sounds, but like you literally don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, because there's, so, nothing, there's nothing that you did to make this happen. It wasn't anything to do with your lifestyle or no. anything. And that's one thing that I'm really, really... I, can't, I cannot even imagine if I had... Had, like it had a reason to blame myself for a diagnosis like that um I can't really imagine how I deal with that knowing that I could have prevented it yeah I think I think with with that it's easier to raise awareness after so if you would have done something that caused it yeah off raising awareness saying these are the things I did and it caused this thing and this is everything I went through and it was terrible so please don't do these things I did yeah but with this it's just there's nothing there's nothing that you did so how do you educate or warn people about this this happening when it's just ridiculously random how how it comes um well, I can't really educate people when it comes to um, symptoms, which is a massive thing that people want to know about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, signs that you're getting whatever, whatever it might be. It could be like a mental condition. It could be anything. People want to know the, you know, red flags about it. But I think the way I've done raised awareness and stuff is just raising awareness that young people do get brain tumours and they can. And they're more common than people think yeah um, yeah really you don't really hear about it until someone you know it happens to them and then they start talking about it and they they try and make it a normal thing for people to talk about because we do shy away from tough topics you know yeah. it's sort of we, we you know we turn the telly over when adverts come on when it's sort of talking about other countries and asking for money and it just makes us feel uncomfortable so we shy away from those things and it's not until somebody we know personally um, that we sort of really sort of wake up and start paying attention to these things obviously yeah. with my nephew it was the same um, and now we do yeah definitely a lot of things for teenage cancer um, companies we do sort of fundraise and stuff um you mentioned was it your sister that run a marathon yeah her and her mates from um down south ran ilkley half marathon and they raised like over two thousand pounds for brain tumor research and did that go to st james's or is that a bigger organization um that's like a charity that 
they just raise so much awareness and and money for brain tumor research um i've been to a few of their like support meetings um to see what their kind of plans are and i'm, I'm actually hoping to get a career within the charity sector for brain tumor research now right um it's kind of swayed me now between music and like that can you not mix the two well i was thinking of getting a, like a career in some form of support hmm. whether it be nhs or the charity sector and then do my music on the side wow so this really has been life-changing in more than one way for you hasn't it yeah i've definitely reconsidered where like my passion is right and because i can kind of relate to people who are going through it yeah. not even necessarily like brain cancer it could be you know i've got i've made loads of friends who you know whilst being in ward 94 like i've met young people through cancer um teenage cancer trust through events and stuff like that and we've all got stuff in common and we do we've done like online quizzes together throughout coronavirus and stuff and it's nice to know that there are young people out there who just completely get it yeah yeah wow so you started doing a blog mm. What what's the blog about? What you what sort of things are you talking about? Um, well, I use I used the blog um, initially just to express how I was feeling and like it kind of helped me it helped me like organize what I was going through and it was just a quick way to like let people know what was happening to be honest because right. it can get a bit tiring constantly like repeating yourself and. So I felt like a blog was a really good way that people who were interested in what was happening could follow and keep up to date with it. And are you um, still contributing towards that now? Yeah, I've, I've not done as much because, I mean, it's a good thing there's like less going on in my life now. <laughs> but now I'm turning it onto like awareness and f future fundraisers. Okay, and how can people find that? Um, it's an Instagram Instagram page, and it's a Pippa blog, which is Pippa blog. Pippa blog on Instagram. Yeah, and it's I was called Pippa. Before we started, um, I've never tried to do it before, but there might be a way to um, write it. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be a clickable link, but I might get it to say somewhere up there. <laughs> Okay, so is there, is there anything else that you want to you want to mention? Have we missed anything? Because I, I don't want you to lose the opportunity. Um, I don't, uh, well, I would quite, if there's anybody who knows of any people, young people going through this, I would highly recommend joining a, fa a really closed Facebook group. I, re I got... Um, told about this Facebook group it's called Cancer Chicks and it was it's a private Facebook group for young Chicks girls as in baby chickens as in for young people it's not like a female page is it yeah yeah it is it's for females Cancer Chicks yeah right okay when you said chicks I didn't know if it meant like young people, young people like baby <laughs> chickens or it was chicks like girls or so no for, yeah for girls right okay um, yeah so that's like a forum where people can literally post anything and it's just like girls like backing each other and 
for, for example, I, I commented, is anyone finding this isolation period really easy? Because we've all been so like isolated from the real world already. Yeah. And I had about 60 people comment like, yeah, you know, we, we've been sat in hospital for months, for years on treatments and stuff, you know, not been able to do normal life things. And it's just nice to know that you're not the only one thinking that. So yeah, I definitely find forum like that. Pippa, you are amazing. Um, you you know the the things that you've overcome and your your attitude. You know, saying it was relaxing being in that machine where for some people that'd be terrifying. Yeah, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing what the way that you've sort of handled everything that you've been through. And um, fingers crossed, we're going to keep getting those good result scans, and they'll go from yeah. three months to six months, and then six months to a year, and then eventually they'll just say we don't even need to do these anymore so that's what we're hoping for yeah. Um, so yeah and we're going to introduce you to some of the determined dan team um, and see if there's any way of you coming and singing that song that you oh, talked about earlier yeah i didn't tell you that bit earlier did i no you didn't oh <laughs> I just no i dropped it in to see if there was a song before <laughs> you could get out of saying it um maybe at one of the next events or something i think that would be that would be really nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. practice, Everyone check out Pippa's blog and thank you very much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much right. for having me. Oh, not a problem at all.